You can ask a hundred different people, you'll get a hundred different answers. Who is Jesus? In a Christian nation where we've been raised in the church, you would think by now people would have a pretty good handle on who Jesus actually is. But it's amazing the approach people take to him. And so this morning we want to talk about who Jesus is because if we're Christians, that word Christ is in that title. And if you're going to be a Christian, that means you're going to follow Christ. So you kind of need to know who you're following, what it's all about. We're doing a series off a quote that was taken from William Booth, the the founder of the Salvation Army, who was asked a question at the turn of the 20th century. And his answer is still an answer that is relevant for those of us in the 21st century as well. When asked what the coming dangers of the new century were, he answered it this way. The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Last week we began talking about what it meant to have religion without the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, that he's not just a a force, an impersonal force, or an energy field that's out there in the world that needs to be harnessed or controlled or that we need to get in the middle of. He's also not any person we want him to be if we try to personalize him. But he is indeed the third person of the Trinity. He's God. And as God, he goes through the world to show each and every one of us our need to be connected to the God whose relationship was broken because of sin. He was sent into the world as we read in the scripture of John, that to convince the world of sin, reprove them of their sin, of righteousness and judgment. And it said the reason that the world is confused about sin is because they don't know who Jesus Christ really is. And so as the Holy Spirit is moving in our midst, that means he is coming to people to show them the truth because he's the spirit of truth. And that first truth is, Who is Jesus? Why did he come into the world? You know, how do we relate to him? Why is it important? Because if we have Christianity without Jesus or have Christianity with the wrong Jesus, then it's going to determine a course for our lives that goes in the wrong direction. So this morning we want to look at, first of all, who is Jesus? When we talk about him, When we talk about the Christ, who are we talking about? What did he come to do and why is it important? And that was a question that has been asked and answered so many times throughout history that you think by now we'd have a good handle on it. But even when Jesus was on the earth, even when he was doing his miracles, even when his disciples were with him and they were listening to his teaching and they were watching everything that he did, They still weren't really sure who he was. And so one day Jesus just asked them the question because there was a lot of swirling controversy about him. People were talking about him. The disciples were hearing what was said. And so in Matthew 16, starting verse 13, he asked them and he answered the question. 
says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. See, everybody had an opinion about Jesus. Everybody was wondering who he really was, why he could do the miracles that he was doing, why he could teach the way he was teaching. Where did he get his power? Where did he get uh, all the knowledge that he had? And so they had a lot of different ideas. Some said, well, he's just one of the prophets of the Old Testament come back because they knew that the Messiah would come in the power of Elijah. So maybe he was Elijah. Maybe he was one of the other prophets. Maybe he was Jeremiah. Maybe he was someone else. They weren't sure. Maybe he's John the Baptist come back. But Jesus said a very important question to them. He said, I'm not interested in who everybody else says that I am. I want to know who you think I am. His disciples that were with him, the ones that had been in his inner circle, had been taught by him, what do you know? What, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who piped up. He said, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the one that we have been waiting for. You're the son of the living God. You are divine. And Jesus says, yes, you've got it. That's it. And he said, now, you didn't figure that out on your own. That's a revelation from my Father. That's the revelation that the Holy Spirit brings to each and every one of us of who Jesus really is. Because Jesus is indeed the second person of the Trinity. He is God, very God and very man. But if the disciples that were with him had trouble figuring out who he was, you can imagine that after his resurrection, ascension, as he leaves the world and the church begins to grow, and people begin to be added to the church that had never actually walked with Jesus, never met him, didn't know him, the explanation of who Jesus was was difficult for people to grasp. So they had a lot of conversations about it. They even began to call councils together to make sure everybody was on the same page, to talk about the nature of Jesus. Who is Jesus? And they spent years talking about the different aspects of what it meant that Jesus could be the Messiah, that he could be the Savior, the Redeemer, that he could be God, yet so obviously be a man. It's a concept that even today we struggle with. It's not easy to grasp. How could Jesus be God? And how can he still be man? How can you put that together and have the divine in that kind of a situation? See, they struggled with it. And a lot of people had ideas. And this is the rise of, at the beginning, even in the first century, of a lot of people coming up with explanations that necessarily weren't, weren't necessarily accurate explanations of Jesus' nature and who he was. For some people, they just could not wrap their heads around the idea 
that God himself, this great creator of the universe, the God who held everything in his hands, would actually come into the world and be a man, be a human being. Because for them, flesh was a bad thing. Flesh is always striving. Flesh is something that's going to die and decay. And, you know, uh, really we're all good people, but it's our flesh that's bad. You know, we, we could do so much better, according to some people, and live such better lives if our flesh didn't drive us to do bad things. You know, I, I would, inside I look really good but my flesh makes me eat too much. You know, and if it wasn't for my body and the cravings that it had, you know, I would look so much better. But it's this shell, it's this body, and it's that way with sin. You know, I, I would have a much better marriage, and I wouldn't commit adultery if, if my body didn't drive me to it. You know, but it's got these desires, and, you know, I just try to control them, but they don't work. And The idea that God himself, could take on the form of man, what we call the incarnation, was just too much for some people. So they had a lot of different ideas, and that's why the councils were called. And one of the great ideas they had, which is making such inroads even today, is this idea that Jesus himself was not incarnated and the only begotten Son of God in the sense that God himself came into the world, but that Jesus was born a regular man, just like everybody else is born, but he was such a good person. He had such marvelous insight into the way the world should work. He was such a great teacher that at his baptism, the Christ came into him. They call it the Christ consciousness, and he became the Christ, or he became the Messiah at that point. And, and that's why his miracles were uh, so prevalent, because he had this very consciousness of God in him. And that allowed him to rise above any other a man of his time to do what nobody else could do. And that Christ, that consciousness stayed with him until he died on the cross. Because as a man, once he died, that consciousness was released back into the universe. But when you don't really accept the story of the incarnation that Jesus came into the world as a babe, that he was fully human as well as fully God, it changes the way that you deal with Christ and it changes the form of Christianity that we believe in. Because if you believe only that he had a Christ consciousness, then that changes the whole way you look at the second coming of God. Because for many, the second coming is this Christ consciousness coming back to another person. And when one of us rises above the herd and we're in tune enough with the spiritual forces of the world, this Christ consciousness might come back to us and we will be the next Savior, we will be like a reincarnation of Jesus. Now, that may sound strange to you, but that's very much a teaching, not only of the world, where we can expect it's really got a way new age influence, but we expect the world to get off on Jesus Christ. 
but we don't really expect the church to be so messed up about who he is. But there's all kinds of teachings out there now that you are just a little God. You have that divine spark in you uh, just like Jesus did. And as soon as you recognize that divine spark, you know, you will be as God. Does that sound anywhere familiar temptation to you from the Bible? That you can be just like God? Isn't that the very first temptation to Eve in the garden? That you can be God? And so for a lot of people, this idea that the Holy Spirit even comes into us makes us somehow part God, part divine, different than everybody else. But is that a biblical understanding of who Jesus really is? Do we receive a Christ consciousness? Are we looking for someone to come to us in spirit form? Or does the scripture teach this same Jesus who you saw ascend is the same one who's going to come back? We're not looking for somebody else. No one's going to rise out of the herd that is different because Jesus Christ, this same Jesus, is coming back and returning. But our culture today has such trouble with the concept that Jesus could actually be God. That's what you saw in the video. Oh, you know, some don't believe him at all, because I don't even believe, you know, in anything. But for others, well, he's a good man, he was a good teacher, he said a lot of nice things, but, you know, very few would actually just say what Peter said. He's the Messiah, he's the son of the living God. He is very God and very man. But boy, we don't like to accept that. Because if Jesus is truly God, if he is in fact divine, then we have to relate with him on a whole different level. Because that means we can't turn Jesus into whoever we want him to be. He is who he is. And we can get very selective when we read about him in the Bible and pull out all kinds of teachings that he had to show how we ought to live but miss his very purpose for coming into the world. Because if Jesus is indeed God, if he is the second person of the Trinity, if he is God incarnate that came to earth and has now ascended after his death into heaven, then why did he come? See, what did Jesus come to accomplish? And why as Christians are we even here today? What is it about Jesus that has drawn us together and what are we looking for? Because again, it's beginning to creep into the church. That Jesus came to show us a better way to live. That that was really his purpose in coming. And then if we would just understand what he said. Try to live the life he lived. That we would get a better understanding of who God is. We would be better people. And we could show the world what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. Because if we live by his teachings, the world is definitely going to be a better place. But we are selective. There's some of Jesus' teachings that we just love to quote. I just turn on Facebook and I can find a thousand quotes from Jesus. 
but they all kind of are the same. And when I look at them, there's a lot of quotes from Jesus I've never seen on Facebook because we kind of selectively jump over those parts. We just love the parts where Jesus said he loves everybody and we're going to love everybody too. Or when Jesus said he's going to heal everybody. We just love the parts that make us feel better. But boy, he said other things that aren't that easy to accept. And one of them is what he told his disciples before he died about why he came. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus is talking to them about what is going to happen after he dies. And he's talking to them about what's going to happen with the Holy Spirit. But he makes this statement. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a statement that nobody likes anymore. Because what that is saying is nobody's going to be saved. Nobody's going to know God. Nobody's going to have eternal life. Nobody's going to get to heaven. Nobody's got a future unless they know Jesus Christ and believe in him. No, 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 no. That can't be right. We don't even like that statement. We don't even believe that statement. Even as Christians, most Christians don't even believe this statement anymore. Because they say, that can't be right. I, I just can't accept that. What about all those people across the world that have never heard about Jesus Christ? They don't even know they're supposed to believe in him. So how could a loving God just condemn those people? Or not let them into heaven just because they haven't heard about Christ? It's not their fault they haven't heard. Does that even make sense? I can't really accept that. Or they go, you know, I know some really good people. In fact, I know good people, not saved people, just good people, that are better than a lot of Christians I know. I have neighbors that are wonderful neighbors. I work with people that are wonderful people. I I have people I could leave my children with and never worry about them. They're so dependable. They're so wonderful. They're great people. And I just cannot believe that God would condemn them just because they don't believe the same way we believe. They're too good for that. And then we've got other people who claim they're Christians that live like the devil. So how can you even say that they're not going to be saved. I, I just can't accept that. That's not right. And then if there are people we love, if they're our own friends or they're our family, they're our kids, our kids get off into sin, they're condemned, they're going to hell. Oh, I can't believe that. Not my child. He's a good person. Living like the devil, but who cares? Uh, I prayed over him. I, I believe, you know, he, he got saved when he was five, you know. I think that still holds. And we just don't want to accept this concept that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He's the only way to salvation. That just can't be right. But why does it have to be right? See, for a lot of people, it's not salvation. It's the life of Jesus that matters. Jesus came into the world to show us what love was all about. And so he gave us a new way of living. He gave us a new concept of love, a way to show 
to all of those people around us what the love of God really means. He came to help us form new communities of people that all name the name of Christ so that we can be examples to the world of how well we get along and you know, what it means to be people that know Jesus. As Christians, we're going to make the world a better place because we know the truth and we're going to show it in everything that we do. We can't condemn our friends, so we've got to just show them a better way. And now today, it's the, everybody wants to be a Christ follower. In fact, if you say you're a Christian anymore, they don't even like that term. That's an old term. That's a bad term. It's got bad connotations. So let's not call ourselves Christians anymore. Let's call ourselves Christ followers. Because we're following the pattern that Jesus set down. We're going to live like Jesus. We're going to love people like Jesus did. We're going to care for the poor. We're going to care for the planet. We're going to be people that reach out in compassion to everybody because we're going to live like Jesus. But is that really why he came into the world? To show us a better way to live? Because really, if you think about it, all religions teach that. Every religion teaches a moral way to live a better way to be, the way we should be treating each other. It doesn't matter what you are. You're going to be taught in any religious fashion that you should be a nicer person and, and treat people kindly. So with all these different religions in the world, as much as people have been part of a religious system for thousands of years, and we're all living moral lives, treating people better and doing better, why isn't the world a better place? In fact, if anything, it seems to be getting worse. We're shooting up more people than we ever have. We're as unkind as we've ever been. You know, we've got more poverty than we've ever had. Nothing's been solved. People aren't being nice to each other. Uh, the suicide rate, the murder rate, it's all up. So if everybody has a moral code and if everybody's being nice, how come nothing's really changing? You see, Jesus didn't fundamentally come to make the world a better place. He came to do what no one else could do. In John 10, verse 10, he says, The thief does not come except to steal and kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. See, Jesus came into the world to bring us life. He said, well, we already have life. No, he's talking about real life. He's talking about abundant life. He's talking about raising us from the dead in the sense that we have been dead in trespasses and sin since the time we've been born. And that struggle between right and wrong, that struggle between doing the right thing and doing the wrong thing is part of our nature. And we may do our best to try and be a good person, but fundamentally we fail because there's something inside of us that's just selfish. Sin controls us. It's part of our nature. Paul wrote about it in Romans. He said, no matter what I try to do, my sinful nature keeps grabbing a hold of me, keeps making me do what I determined I wasn't going to do. 
but I did it anyway. And so we keep messing up. And because of sin, our relationship with God is broken. We can't talk to God. We don't understand God. We don't see God. We don't have a relationship with God as long as sin is in our lives because sin destroys. So Jesus came to do what no one else could do, and that was deal with the problem of sin. Because if sin is fundamentally the problem in this world, then somehow this sin problem needs to be taken care of. And if it's not, we're condemned to die. That's why Jesus talked of a new birth. He said new life, a new way of looking at the world, a new beginning. Because Jesus has done something with the sin that's controlling your life. And now it's as if you have a new birth. It's eternal life. The life that will last forever. Not just life in this world, but life in the next world. And see, that's why Jesus is the only way. For all this discussion about that can't be the only way, nice people have to be in heaven too, and I just can't believe God condemns everybody. The reason Jesus is the only way is because he's the only one who's ever dealt with the problem of sin. Nobody else could remove sin. Nobody else fundamentally got to the core and the root of what makes us sin. Everybody else just tries to say, you can do it if you focus enough, if you just meditate enough, if you just live right, give up certain things, you know, stay focused, you'll be able to defeat sin. But there isn't any other way to defeat sin. Even when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was facing the horrible future that was ahead of him, he prayed, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. In other words, he was saying, if there's any other way to deal with the problem of sin, then Lord, please find that way. But the problem was there was no other way to deal with the problem of sin. There was no other way to take away sin except for Jesus to go to the cross because there had to be an atonement for sin. Something had to be done in order to take sin away. Under the old covenant, they would sacrifice animals because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So blood had to be shed. And they would shed the blood of animals to atone for their sins. In other words, to satisfy a relationship with God because they were God's chosen people. But the blood of animals was never enough to really take away their sin permanently and change their nature on the inside. So they always struggled with that back and forth of living right and not being able to do it. But because sin came into the world through a man, redemption had to come through a man as well. But God understood no man could redeem us because we're all sinners. Every one of us has sinned and come short of the glory of God. So none of us can go to a cross and have our blood be the price for everybody else in humanity. We're sinners as well. 
But when Jesus came into the world, the incarnate Son of God, born of a virgin, and he never sinned. He was perfect. He was the perfect lamb. He could lay down his life for us and deal with that problem of sin. His blood would be the satisfaction that God required. See, Christianity without an atoning Jesus is no Christianity at all. If Jesus doesn't take away our sin, if he fundamentally doesn't deal with our sinful nature, then Christianity is just another way to God. It is just like all the other religions of the world because all of them want to deal with right living and a right way to live and have a community of right-thinking people. But it's hard to do when your inner nature constantly rebels against God, is selfish, and wants its own way. There has to be a change on the inside. There has to be a way to deal with what drives us to do the wrong thing. And so Jesus came into the world to make a difference. He came in to shed his blood. And when he went to the cross, death didn't hold him. He showed he was indeed the Lamb of God because he conquered death. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He came back. And he showed us that all of us will have the eternal life that he brought if we are connected to him. And then he ascended up into heaven after being here on earth and convincing not only his followers but many others that he was indeed back. He sits at the right hand of God. And he is able to watch the world and judge it. And we can have a relationship with Jesus if we understand truly who he is, that he's our Savior and Redeemer. The only way he could be the perfect lamb was to be fully human. He is the second Adam, as Paul said. He was a man who would lay down his life for us. But as I said, just being a man wasn't enough. In order to conquer sin, in order to conquer Satan and hell and death and the grave, he had to be fully divine. And so he is God. That's what's so hard to understand. How can he be God and man at the same time? But that's the picture of the Trinity. And he's the second person of the Trinity. A lot of people say, well, Jesus never actually said that he was God. And, you know, maybe God just used him. Like we said, he just came for a while, put that Christ thing in him and, you know, made him good. But then, you know, I don't know if we can just say he's God because after all, if he's God, how could he die? Well, he didn't die. That's the whole point. He was resurrected. But Jesus did say who he was. John chapter 10, the one we've been in, verse 27. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and my Father are one. See, that's a pretty good declaration. I am God. The Father and me, we're the same person. That's what got him into trouble. 
When he said that, the minute he said that, they didn't like it. They were going to put him to death because nobody could claim to be God and live. And when he said that, they didn't appreciate it. But he said, I'm going to give you eternal life. That's why he came into the world. Now, if the Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week, is the spirit of truth, and the spirit of truth comes to us to teach us what truth is, then it's the Holy Spirit who's going to reveal to us the truth of who Jesus Christ actually is. That's why Peter could say when Jesus asked him the question, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God, you are the one we've been waiting for. And it is the Holy Spirit that still comes to us with that truth to bring that revelation to us. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is God. He's so much more than just a teacher or just a prophet or just a good example to follow. Now, all that comes later after he redeems us and we know him. But we can't truly be an example of Jesus Christ into the world until we're redeemed by Christ. See, if you turn it around and do it the other way, you just get back to works religion. That somehow if you, if you live a moral life, somehow you're a good person, somehow you do all the right things, that that's going to count for something. That doesn't count for anything unless Jesus Christ is your Savior. Unless that question of sin has actually been dealt with. And now you have right standing in a relationship with God. Now that doesn't mean we don't have any works. Once we belong to the Lord, we should be people that look different than everybody else. We should care about others. We should show the love of Christ to a world that needs to see it. We should be a community that's different than any other community on the face of the earth. People should want to be part of the church. Because the church is the example of blessing by the Almighty God who created us. But too many people look at the church. They look at Christianity and they don't see any difference. They don't see people that seem redeemed. They don't see people that are alive with the joy of the Lord. They don't see people that seem to know who they believe in or what it's all about. In fact, they see people that are just like the rest of the world. See, we'll never make an impact on the world. We'll never be able to introduce them to Jesus Christ if we're not introducing them to someone who's fundamentally different and shows them a different way than the life they have. It's not about just moral living. A lot of people are moral. A lot of people do well. But that doesn't make them saved. And it's that hard truth that good people aren't going to heaven Saved people are going to heaven. And salvation's in Christ. Amen. See, Christianity without Christ is just a religious system that believes sin is not the problem of our society. And that's pretty much where our society is today. We've got all kinds of reasons for the problems we have. But the problem fundamentally isn't sin. Problems poverty, problems racism, problems sexism, problem is just fundamentally gun control or anything else. All of that are symptoms of problems, but they're not the real problem because the problem of sin is sin. 
And if we turn Jesus into just another great leader of history, just another great man who was part of a book that a lot of people choose to live by, if he's just another way to some kind of future that we can't really even articulate, then Christianity is nothing. Because Christianity isn't about right living. It's about a Savior who redeems. And if we fundamentally don't know the true Jesus, then we don't have a belief system that's going to change the world. We don't have one that's even going to change us. Because until sin is handled, nothing's really ever going to change. Jesus is the only way. Because he's the only one who can take away sin. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he shed his blood. That's what makes a difference. And it is only the blood of Christ that can release you from your sin. See, sin brings shame. Sin brings upset to our lives. Sin brings problems. And we have a whole society that is dealing with so many problems that for some people, they can barely face the next day. And so we do all kinds of things to try to help. We're over-medicated to the point that some people can't even get through a day without taking enough pills to make them feel good. Whether it's legal drugs or illegal drugs, people just want to medicate their problems away. Other people want to find it on a psychiatrist's couch. We can just talk our problems away. That fundamentally, if I understand myself enough, then eventually I'll be able to figure it out and live better. Or if I can blame everybody else for my predicament. If you'd have had the parents I had, you'd be a mess too. I never had a start in life. You know, we can blame everybody for our problems and talk it to death. But talking it to death won't solve it. You can be hurt by the circumstances of life and fundamentally be so wounded inside you can't even see straight because of what other people have done to you. But talking to them, thinking about it, hoping they'll act better, isn't going to take away the feeling that you have inside. And when you've really messed up and you've hurt someone else and you know that you have not done what you are supposed to do, the guilt of that, the shame of that stays with you. And so people will tell you, well, there's a lot of ways to deal with guilt and there's a lot of ways to deal with shame. There's a lot of ways to deal with what's ailing you. And you can find it here, there, and everywhere. But there's only one place that can take it away. And there's only one place where the guilt and the shame and the upset can be changed into cleanness. See, only Jesus can erase your past and make you clean again. Only Jesus can take away the sting of what's happened to you. Only Jesus can give you a second start in life and give you a different future. 
Everything else is just talk. But when he went to that cross, he made a way. And that way gives you new life. When he said he came to bring life and life more abundantly, when you're released from your sin, when that sin question has been dealt with, when sin is buried and it's no longer there, you are a new person with a new life and a new future. And nobody can do that except Jesus Christ. Christianity without the true Christ is just another religion. And really, Christianity without the true Christ has no power at all. But when you know the true Jesus, the Son of the living God, fully human, fully divine, Jesus can change your life. And there's nothing that Jesus can't do. He can give you a new start and clean you up. He can heal. He can go after all of those friends and relatives who need to know him and don't want to listen to you. Because if they don't come to Jesus Christ, eternity is not secured. And when we grasp that, it should change the way we deal with people. Because if we really love them, we will save them. Just accepting them and hoping that they're going to notice how great we are is not going to get them into the kingdom. Let me tell you, they never notice how great you are. I don't care what you do. They, they, you're never great enough. You need to connect people to Jesus Christ. And that's our message. So let's stand as we bring our service to an end. And if you need to spend some time reconnecting to Jesus Christ, if you're finding that struggle to live the right way, to do the right thing, is, is becoming too hard, then Jesus is here to help. That's why his Holy Spirit came into the world. If you know someone you, that needs Jesus and you don't know what to say to him, Come and ask Jesus to, to give you wisdom to help you. Because he came into the world to save us. He came into the world to take care of the sin problem. He is our Messiah. He is our Redeemer. He's our Savior and our friend. And as we close this morning, put yourself into the hands of Jesus and say, Yes, that's the Jesus I believe in. That's the Jesus I want. I want to have a life that makes a difference for all of eternity. And that is only found through Jesus Christ. Whoever comes, that someone sticks a microphone in front of you and asks you the question, who is Jesus? I hope your answer is, he's the one who changed my life. Not just the teacher, not just the prophet, but he's the one who dealt with the sin that I carried. And he took it away. And I have never been the same again. And if we get that message out, people will listen. When the message is just, 
let me do something for you. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do things for people. Of course we should be kind. Of course we should do things for people. But that's not our message. Our message is not, let me give you a cup of water. Though we may do that. But anybody can give you a cup of water. Government does that. Our message is, with this cup of water, I want to talk to you about the one who quenches your thirst and you're never the same again. I want to introduce you to the one who can make a difference from the inside out. We are changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you haven't experienced that change, you need to. And then you need to take the message. Jesus died for our sins. And until we recognize that sin is the problem in this world, Nothing's ever going to change. Jesus even said people love their sin. They don't want to give it up. But when they see redeemed people on fire for God, they'll notice. So get on fire. Be redeemed. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for coming into the world and redeeming us when we didn't deserve it that you would go to a cross, that you would lay down your life for us when we didn't deserve it. What love you showed us. And Lord, we know that you are the only way that the problem of sin can be dealt with. You are the only way to eternal life. You are the only way to God the Father. You are the only way to salvation. And help us never to compromise that message by feeling that it makes us stand out too much or makes us too different or that we have to accept uh, what the culture is trying to press us into. But Lord, may we be a beacon, a light that says, I know a place where you can come and you can be given new life, life more abundantly from a Savior who steps into every situation no sin that he can't forgive. No problem you've gotten yourself into that he can't fix. He's our Redeemer and our Savior. So help us, Lord, to take that message into the world and stand proud that you called us and saved us. It wasn't us. It was you. And we give all honor and glory to your name alone, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you. Go in his grace this week and tell someone about Jesus.